0: Invite you to turn in your Bibles to Genesis chapter thirty-eight to continue our study in the book of Genesis on Sunday evenings, while they're doing Let's Talk Basics Sunday morning they, week, while we are doing Let's Talk Basics uh, on Sunday mornings. Two more weeks of Let's Talk Basics, and we'll dive back into the book of Genesis. Uh, so the last time we were t- Sunday night before Mother's Day, Uh, we covered chapter 36 and 37, and that was Pastor Matthew. And uh, apparently, the recording didn't work for them. So I didn't get all of the message, uh, got the front end of the message, but I didn't get Covered Esau uh, and his family, or the rest of his family, and I think he maybe just touched on one or two, really the princes uh, and the chiefs of Edom, uh, there's somewhat of, uh, you know, there's a line there to follow, but there's a few of the names in there that are significant or become significant. We looked at Amalek uh, several weeks back, but uh, then you got into Joseph's dreams, and uh, some Joseph, and the really the introduction of Joseph, and then we come to chapter 38, and chapter 38 is like this little insert, and it's, al- one almost has to ask the question, why is chapter 38 even here in this placement, other than in a chronology, it's transpiring in the midst of what's happening amongst the sons of Jacob, and this is Judah, and so this portion of scripture. Uh, has many significances, and certainly there are uh, some. I mean this, is a, this is this. The story is so sorted in many ways, and yet out of the sortedness of the story comes the lineage of our Messiah, and so significant and implications as a result of what's transpired in chapter 38. And those implications have a profound impact in history, up to and including Israel's demand for a king, and all that is... so, without further ado, let's, let's dive in. Again, tonight we will likely go to uh, some history, both biblical in terms of practices. There are a number of practices, some 40 practices in Scripture that are pre-Mosaic law that get folded into Mosaic law by the Lord himself. And we'll see one of those tonight, and we'll look at that also very uh, tangentially, if you will, in the book of Ruth, having to do with a Leverite marriage. And uh, Leviticus also brings this out in the Mosaic law, but uh, some interesting implications. So let's dive in, and uh, you'll probably want to have your finger in the book of Ruth, Uh, we will also probably touch on Deuteronomy tonight, Uh, so let's dive in. It came to pass at that time that Judah departed from his brothers and visited a certain Adulamite whose name was Hira. It came to pass at that time, one might ask the question, at what time? what time it came to pass at that time what time is the reference the time is in reference to Joseph and his father's mourning and his father's mourning for his son so much so that he wouldn't be consoled he says in verse 33 of chapter 37. And he recognized it and said, It is my son's tunic. A wild beast has devoured him. Without doubt, Joseph is torn to pieces. Then Jacob tore his clothes, put on sackcloth, or put sackcloth on his waist, and mourned for his son many days. And all his sons and all his daughters arose to comfort him, but he refused to be comforted. And he said, for I shall go down into the grave to, er, to my son in mourning. Thus his father wept for him. It's at that time that Judah does what's about to occur. It might be interesting to know um, his parents just with children, favoritism is not healthy for parents to play favorites. Now Joseph clearly is his favorite, unless you're an only child. <laughs> That's funny. Uh, so let's go on. It came to pass at that time, Judah departed from his brothers and visited a certain Adulamite whose name was Hira. And Judah saw there a daughter of a certain Canaanite whose name was Shua. And he married her and went into her. This is a Canaanite woman. Judah is not living in a place of obedience presently. He's intermarrying. So she conceived and bore a son and called uh, and it says and he called his name Ur so Jacob excuse me so Judah names his firstborn son Ur she conceived again and bore a son and she called his name Onan and she conceived yet again verse 5 and she bore a son and called his name Shelah. He was at Tezib when she bore him. Now, I think it's noteworthy. This is a a disobedient marriage. An unequal yoking. Now, think about this for just a moment. In an un... One might think that influence uh, would be dominant up, that Judah would somehow pull Shua up. But it's interesting that he names the first, but she names the second and the third. It might be, I don't want to read too much into it, but it might be indicative of some level of influence and where he is influenced down, so to speak. And so I, I just... Just be aware that the company that you keep can have an impact on your life. Uh, Do not be unwise. Bad company corrupts what? Good moral. Yeah. And so, it says, verse 6, Then Judah took a wife for Ur, his firstborn, and her name was Tamar. So some time has passed and Ur is of age and father obtains a wife for her for him whose name was Tamar. But Ur, Judah's firstborn, was wicked in the sight of the Lord, and the Lord killed him. We don't have details biblically. The pseudo-Jonathan Targum references a oral teaching of the rabbinical Jews. The oral teaching of the rabbinical Jews is that it was displeasing and the Lord did not strive. That verse seven. But Er, Judas firstborn, was wicked in the sight of the Lord, and the Lord killed him. And Judah said to Onan, his next son, "Go into your brother's wife and marry her, and raise up an heir to your brother." Now this is the incident of the practice of the levirate marriage. If there were brothers in a family and a brother married a woman there was no issue from the womb, and the brother died. The next brother in line was to marry her and produce a child that could carry the namesake of the deceased brother. This is about inheritance, and inheritance in the land that would be future. That's ultimately how it's come into the Mosaic Law, so that in would not be lost, and so. Verse nine says, "But Onan knew that the heir would not be his, and it came to pass when he went in to his brother's wife that he emitted on the ground, lest he should give an heir to his brother. Um, he had sex, but he did not give his seed. Some have." to Onan, that this is, that God is somehow against um, contraception and the uh, birthing of children, if you will, that somehow God is against it. That would be a poor usage of God's word here. But it says in verse 10, and the thing which he did displeased the Lord, therefore he killed him also. Then Judah said to Tamar, his daughter-in-law, Remain a widow in your father's house till my son Shelah is grown. For he said, Lest he also die like his brothers. And Tamar went and dwelt in her father's house. Now in the process of time, the daughter of Shua, Judah's wife, died. And Judah was comforted. So his wife has died. And Judah's being comforted, and it went and he went up to his sheep shearers at Timnah, he and his friend Hira the Adulamite. And it was told Tamar, to saying, Look, your father in law is going up to Timnah to shear his sheep. So she took off her widow's garments, covered herself with a veil, and wrapped herself, and sat in an open place was on the way to Timnah where she saw that Shelah was grown and she was not given to him as a wife so Ur has died Onan has gone in and married her and he also did wicked in the eyes of the Lord and so the Lord removed him and so it was Judah's responsibility to give to Tamar Shelah as a husband to sire a child for her deceased husband, Ur. Judah apparently did not want to give Shelah to Tamar because he didn't want his third son to die. And so in the process of time, as his wife has died, he's going up where the sheep shearers are and understanding that our culture is a little bit different, uh, but where the sheep shearers are, it is a celebration. This is a time of celebration. They're bringing the sheep in, and they're going to be uh, taking the wool, and it is a celebration. It's, it's a gathering place of all of the shepherds. Uh, so she, Tamar, catches wind of the fact that he's on his way so she took off her mourning clothes, her widow's garments and she put a veil on and she went into an open place on the road to Timnah and when Judah saw her, verse 15, he thought she was a harlot. Now it's very likely that this would be what would be known as a temple harlot. This would be a pagan place of worship uh, and party. And so, in his mind, he thought, "Well, here's a harlot because she had a covered, or she had covered her face." Then he turned to her by the way and said, "Please let me come into you," for he did not know she was his daughter-in-law. So she said, "What will you give me that you may come into me?" And he said. I will send a young goat from the flock. I heard one guy said, one guy said it this way, he wasn't kidding. I will send a young goat from the flock. So she said, will you give me a pledge till you send it? Then he said, what pledge shall I give you? So she said, your signet and cord and your staff that is in your hand. Then he gave them to her and went into her, and she conceived by him. So she arose and went away and laid aside her veil and put on the garments of her widowhood. And Judah sent the young goat by the hand of his friend the Adullamite to receive his pledge from the woman's hand, but he did not find her. Then he asked the men of that place, saying, Where is the harlot who was openly by the roadside? And they said, There's no harlot in this place. So he returned to Judah and said, I cannot find her. Also the men of the place said, There was no harlot in this place. Then Judah said, Let her take them for herself, lest we be shamed. For I sent this young goat, and you have not found her. Again, you can see Judah's character, Judah's lifestyle, would not be commiserate with that of a chosen generation, a people, the people belonging to God. And he is engaging, in the midst of his mourning, he's now going to engage in harlotry, adultery, or call it fornication, illicit living, and he forfeits in his sin he forfeits his signet ring his cord or another translation would say his mantle and his staff now his signet ring is in fact his identity it's his signature it's his name and in the marketplace it was his It was his value, it was his commerce, it was his ability to leverage in a deal. His signet ring was who he was. And he forfeited that for the sake of sin, for the sake of illicit behavior. There's probably an implication there. The more we delve into disobedient living to the Lord, the more we are forfeiting our name, the more we are forfeiting, God has in our identity for us, and we are conforming to this world rather than being transformed by the renewing of our mind in the Lord. And so, His cord, uh, His cord or His mantle—this is this is His uh, up to and including even His position. He's given up His identity now; He's giving up potentially His position. And the position uh, I would refer to—I it, mean. Judah is the fourth born of Jacob, um, but he also has a role, and he has a place of authority, and he is forfeiting his authority as well. I think there's there's wisdom there. I think there's insight there um, that one cannot overlook, at least. I think there's probably a sermon in here about these three elements, and the forfeiture of them for the sake of diving into sin. What what are we forfeiting when we give in to sin, when we do not take the way of escape that God provides for us? And so uh, certainly some implications there. Uh, so she conceives by him, and she returns to her father's house, and she removes her veil and replaces her garments of her widowhood. Then Judah returns and finds his Adulamite friend and says, hey, take the young kid to the harlot. And he goes to find her, cannot find her, inquires of the men and they say, there's no harlot here. And so returns to Judah and says to Judah, thus and so, and he says, well, let's forget about it, lest we be shamed, lest we be shamed. And there's there's insight there. Um, when, when we don't face our disobediences, uh, there there is heaped up for us some level of shame. It's going to cost us something. It's going to cost us something, and we're going to discover it's going to cost Judah something great, something great. So let's let's go a little further. Verse twenty-four. And it came to pass about three months after that Judah was told, saying, Tamar, your daughter-in-law, has played the harlot. Furthermore, she is with child by harlotry. So Judah said, bring her out and let her be burned. This is immediate judgment. Judgment. It's reminiscent another patriarch of the Old Testament who was immediately in the position to judge, only to be pointed out that... When she was brought out, she sent to her father-in-law, saying, By the man whom these belong, I am with child. She said, Please determine whose these are, the signet, the cord, and the staff. Now, in that same targum, the pseudo-Jonathan targum, it's interesting, and I believe it's also in the targum of Onkelos, extra-biblical, rabbinical, verbal teaching. But when they tell the story, they say that Tamar went into a state of distress because she could not find the ring, she could not find the cord, and she could not find the staff. The very things that she kept as collateral, she could not find. And Frantically searched to find them and could not find. And she it, they teach that she prayed and that God sent forth Michael to open her eyes to see where they were. And she found them just at the last minute and cast them out and said, To whom these belong, this is the one whose child is in me. What we have account of is that she brought the signet ring, the cord, and the staff. Um, It's encouraging to know, because we know it from the Word of God, that angels are ministering spirits unto men. And so it is very encouraging to know that there are angels on assignment with mankind. If, in fact, that is what transpired, hey, thanks be to God. It is the practice of God to do those kinds of things. So we don't know that for certain, but it is certainly... Uh, an encouraging read to know that angels are on assignment. So we have verse 28, Judah acknowledged them and said, She has been more righteous than I, because I did not give her to Shelah, or Shelah my son. And he, that is Judah, never knew her again. Now it came to pass at that time, for giving birth, that behold, twins were in her womb. Now let me stop here. Also, this is—it's just worth—it's worth, it's worth uh, taking a quick gander at. Uh, and I now, for the life of me, I can't even remember what the word is. Did um, I make a note of it? I did not. Um, it is interesting that in those targums, that there is said that the voice of God spoke from heaven. Bakkol is known as that voice from heaven, and it exerci- the voice simply said, uh, both will remain alive. Justice is served. And so, again, it's just interesting. Judah owns his sin, and she also owns hers. He declares she is more righteous Uh She has been more righteous than I because I didn't give to her or give Shayla uh, to her, my son, and he never knew her again. Now, it came to pass at the time uh, for giving birth that, behold, twins were in her womb. And so it was when she was giving birth that one put out his hand, and the midwife took a scarlet thread and bound it around his hand, saying, this one came out first. Then it happened— as he drew back his hand that his brother came out unexpectedly and she said how did you break through this breach be upon you therefore his name was called Perez afterward his brother came out who had a scarlet thread on his hand and his name was called Zerah so a sordid story relations with his daughter-in-law that was an illegal relationship. Therefore, he could not take her as wife, and so he knew her not again, which makes her offspring bastard children. In the law, Deuteronomy sires a bastard child, that line will not be recognized amongst the tribes unto the tenth generation. Not be numbered unto the tenth generation. So Judah is to not be numbered unto the tenth generation. How interesting tenth generation from Judah is David David Now this is this is interesting if you if you advance forward to 1 Samuel go to 1 Samuel chapter Let's look at 8. Chapter 8. And let me say this, because we've already seen, and we've looked at it at least once or twice, that it was always God's intention to move from a theocracy to a monarchy. Because he says in Genesis chapter 49, when Jacob is blessing his children, he says of Judah, this is where he says, you are a lion's whelp, and your brother's will, thus and so. And he said, kings are in your loins. Kings. That tells us that Judah will be the kingly lion. And he says, and there will be a lawgiver, the scepter shall not be, depart between your legs, And there will be a lawgiver until Shiloh appears. The the scepter will not depart, and there will be a lawgiver between your legs until Shiloh appears, until Messiah comes. And so God's intention was to go to a monarchy, but the children of Israel, which we've seen historically already with certainly Abraham, God gave him a promise, but Abraham said, man, I can't wait for you, God. Let's do something to help God out. We saw it right down the line, and now, this is when we get into 1 Samuel, the children of Israel are going to demand a king, and it's ahead of time. God had an intended king. In fact, it's very interesting. You go from the book of Judges and Ruth, which Ruth occurred in the midst of the Judges, and it's there that there was no king, and every man did what was right in his own eyes. That's the epitaph of 450 years of Israel's history. Every man did what was right in his own eyes. Man with no king left unto himself doesn't do good. Israel is clear and a plain picture for it. So you come to First Samuel. 1 Samuel is man's king. Man demanded a king, and so God gave them a king, and he is man's king, Saul. Second Samuel is God's king, David, the appointed to the throne king. So we come to 1 Samuel, and it says in chapter 8, now it came to pass, verse 1, Samuel was old that he made his sons judges over Israel. The name of his firstborn was Joel, and the name of his second was Abiah. They were judges in Beersheba. But his sons did not walk in his ways. They turned aside after dishonest gain, took bribes, and perverted justice. Then all the elders of Israel gathered together and came to Samuel at Ramah and said to him, Look, you are old. And your sons do not walk in your ways. Now, make us a king to judge us like all the nations. Isn't it interesting that we turn to the world for our salvation, so to speak? What did Abraham do when he got into the promised land? He had gotten into the promised land and a famine came. What was the first thing he did? He went to Egypt. Egypt was the type of the world. He turned to the world. What was Jacob's intent, uh, or what was Isaac's intent, hey, he was going to go down to Egypt as well, but God stopped him and said, don't go, don't go, but his intent, head on down to Egypt, going to fix it here, hey, we're looking at the world, let's, let's, let's do what the world does, (laughs) this is so crazy, this is what church, the church today does. world should work in the church. And because we have to look at all of these things as barometers of the health of the church, people will sell their souls, so to speak, just to get numbers and to get things that are some kind of indicator that, ooh, we're successful. Success in God's eyes is not by numbers and chairs filled. Success in God's eyes not need to look to the world to discern how we're to do something. We don't even need to look at another church and what they're doing somehow put that practice into our practice. We need to listen to the Lord and do what the Lord says. Does that make sense? That's a big deal. It's a big deal. So, make us a king to judge us like all the nations. But the thing displeased Samuel When they said, give us a king to judge us. So Samuel prayed to the Lord. And the Lord said to Samuel, Heed the voice of the people in all that they say to you. For they have not rejected you, but they have rejected me, that I should not reign over them. Well, that's a hearty statement. They've not rejected you, Samuel. They've rejected me, that I would not reign over them. According to all the works which they have done since the day that I brought them out of Egypt, even to this day with which they have forsaken me and served other gods. So they are doing to you also. Now therefore heed their voice, however. You shall solemnly forewarn them and show them the behavior of a king who will reign over them. So Samuel told all the words of the Lord to the people who asked him for a king. Now, God is giving them what they are requesting. And you come down to chapter 9, beginning in verse 1, it says, There was a man of Benjamin, whose name was Kish, the son of Abiel, the son of Zeror, the son of Bechorath, the son of Ephiah, a Benjamite. Of where? Benjamin. This is not Judah. It's Benjamin. One has to ask, why the tribe of Benjamin? One ought to ask because Genesis 49 tells us that Judah is the kingly line, it is the royal line. So why Benjamin? back to Genesis chapter 38, and there was a bastard child of Judah. So the line of Judah is not identified with the nation of Israel unto the tenth generation. So you have a king that is going to be anointed as king until God's king, David, the man after made king and is anointed king. Now here's here's the interesting piece was that does that does that make sense? I mean God's timing and God's process and how he does what he does and why he does what he does. And actions have ramifications. Actions will always have some level of consequence. I'm sure Judah had no idea of his consequence He had no idea that the woman who played the harlot was Tamar. He had no idea that they would not be identified, and he didn't know God's ultimate purpose in terms of his plan to have kings come from Judah. And so Saul is made king. Now you know the story of Saul. Saul is rejected because he ultimately fears man and does not obey, and there's some very magnanimous statements that Samuel makes to Saul up to and including, God does not desire sacrifice, he desires obedience over sacrifice. And uh, so Saul ultimately will be rejected, and Samuel will anoint David, uh, the king. Uh, but here's, here's the interesting thing. Uh, turn, turn back with me just a few pages to the book of Ruth. And this will tie into our story with Perez. Beginning in chapter four, and verse eleven. Now, this is this. The book of Ruth is a fabulous story of God's redemption and God's work. And uh, Boaz, being a kinsman, and Boaz, a kinsman of Naomi. Interestingly enough, enough, not the nearest of kinsmen to Naomi. There was one yet nearer. But the one yet nearer was not willing to fulfill all of the law of redemption for qualifications. He was willing to do three of them, but when he discovered that he would have to fulfill all of the rights, he would have to take Ruth, a Moabite woman, as wife and sire a child, a male child for Elimelech's lineage and inheritance, a Levirate marriage. And so the nearer of kin said, not going to do it. And shamefully, he had to take his shoe off and hand it publicly and say, I refuse. And so it was a way of shaming him for not fulfilling his obligation. But that made room for Boaz to step in and say, not a problem. I'll take care of this. And he steps in, and it's a beautiful story. And not only does he redeem Naomi's land back, the land of Elimelech, but in the process of redeeming the land, he also takes for himself a Gentile bride. And it's a beautiful picture and a typology of Jesus Christ. What the law could not do, the mirror of kin, if you will, grace does. Grace brings about an inheritance back. And in the process of doing so, Christ took on a Gentile bride, which is you and I. Fabulous, fabulous picture of God's redemption look in chapter 4. This is, this is a fascinating thing. Verse 11 says, And all the people who were at the gate, and the elders said, We are witnesses. The Lord make the woman who is coming to your house, that is Ruth, the Moabite woman, make the woman who is coming to your house like Rachel and Leah, the two who built the house of Israel. And may you prosper in Ephratah, and be famous in Bethlehem. May your house be like the house of Perez, whom Tamar bore to Judah, because the offspring which the Lord will give you from this young woman. Here we find Perez. Now, you would find that Perez is in the lineage of our Savior, but interestingly enough, back to Genesis chapter 38 contained within Genesis 38 is an interesting hidden message I don't know how to say it any better than that Um, remember the hermeneutics of Jewish rabbis. They had four levels of understanding. They had the peshah, which is the literal meaning. In our story, the literal meaning is that Judah took Tamar as a harlot and had relations with her, and she was impregnated by him. It's literal. how it happened. After the peshah have what is known as the remez. The remez is that there is a hint of something more. There's something more here. The next is the dirash. What does it mean to me? This story occurred, this event happened, what can I glean from it? Like for instance, he went into an illicit relationship. And in the process of going into an illicit relationship, he forfeited his signet, ring, his cord, and his staff. There is an application there for you and I. When we engage in indulgent sin, we are forfeiting our identity. We are forfeiting our position of authority. That would be... There's application I can take in my own life. But when I have the chance to make a decision, that decision will have consequences. And depending on what that sin is, listen, no one intends, you know, the person who t- takes drugs or alcohol for the very first time that may be very susceptible to addiction, I'm sure they weren't thinking, well, I better be careful because I could become addicted to this. They're just in the moment. And they dive in. The guy, the man or the woman who looks someone, and they're married, and they look, and they, they get some level of affection. I'm sure they weren't thinking, I'm well, I'm super eager to jump into an adulterous relationship. No, I'm sure that's not what it is. Things happen, quote-unquote, seemingly innocent. But you know what? The flesh is simply making provision for itself. But they probably didn't intend for things to go down the road that it goes. But I guarantee you that there's consequence in sin. People end up giving up their identity. People end up giving their position of authority. How many marriages have been broken, how many fathers have lost the position of authority in their own children's lives? They lost their identity. They were one. They had an identity and they lost it. And then you come to the fourth level, which is the soda or the salt, the hidden meaning. And so in chapter 38, and I don't want I'm not I'm not a mystic by any stretch of the imagination but It wasn't anything that I discovered, but somebody, and the person I read it from wasn't the one who discovered it also, but in equidistant lettering, reading from right to left, as Hebrew does, when you come to uh, the first death, counting 49 characters and spaces, Then you come to the first R in the Hebrew letter, you count 49 spaces equal and it spells out Rue. And then you come to the first, for the name Obed, and you count 49 characters, each of the characters 49 equal spaces, spells Obed. Uh, then it spells uh, Jesse, or Jesse. equidistant lettering of 49 characters contained within chapter 38 of Genesis. Prior to any knowledge of this information, and that they would be the characters that were forthcoming in the times of the Judges, this is literally hundreds of years before it happened. God is, in a predictive way, saying from the chapter where the people say, may Your Wife Be Like Perez. The very chapter that describes Perez contains, hidden within it, the lineage from Boaz to Ruth, from Boaz and Ruth to Obed, from Obed to Jesse, from Jesse to David. When I see things like that, it just fires me up. And I think, wow, God's word is perfect. And it's actually, it's not surprising, but it makes me want to go dig some more and find the truth contained within the Word of God because what it does for me is it inspires me to be more in love with the Lord and to discover more of who He is. And when I discover more of who He is, I think, I love you even more. And uh, I would tell you that uh, there, is, uh, there is a copy of that Hebrew document that actually points the letters out uh, and shows, you know, Fascinating. The beauty of it is, Genesis chapter 38, in the midst of a sordid story and some interesting characters, God uses the frailty to 39 next Sunday evening, uh, Joseph's slavery, if you will, in Egypt. Um, I just encourage you, be, be engaged in the things of the Lord. The things that God is engaged in, may we be encouraged to be engaged in. May we be encouraged to study the Word. To study the Word of God, to see Jesus on every page. Right there is There are types And there are pictures of Jesus Christ, his grace, his love, and his plan literally on every page in the book. Psalm 40, verse 8 says, The volume of the scroll is written of me. The volume of the book is written of me. It is to the glory of God to conceal a matter, Proverbs tells us. It is to the glory of kings to search the matter out. And so as... Let us be encouraged to seek these things out and find the truths contained within the Word of God and find not only the discover the peshah that literal, find the little pieces of the remez that hint there's something a little more here. I want to go find what it is and do some digging. Make the application in your life. What is that uh, diresh? What is that that... What does this mean to me? How? What can I take this week from this text that I can apply in my life and in my living? Hey, there's enough contained within chapter 38 to keep us chewing for a while that could be applying to us in our daily decision-making and our daily walk of the Lord. And then finally, when your whistle is wh- has discovered it before you, you've just not discovered it, hey, go do some digging, and you'll discover. There's some fabulous men of God who have discovered some amazing, amazing things. I think men and women of God who have discovered things in the Word of God. And so we get to, we get to build on their research. And so when we read those things, uh, we become wiser. Yet. Amen? Amen. Well, why don't you stand with me tonight, and let's pray and ask the Lord's blessing. Encourage you in your uh, Let's Talk basics, to continue in your daily devotions through your little booklet there and answering questions and engage in a life group this week, and uh, let's ask God simply to have his way in our lives. Father, we love you. Thank you for your word. Thank you, God, for the truths contained in your word. Thank you, Lord, for just your word is perfect. It is inerrant. It is infallible. Yes, in its original writing. And Lord, we're just thankful that you have a plan and you're the one who declares the end from the beginning. You declare the end from the beginning. You're the one who said in this text, even as that 16th century rabbi said, the Messiah will reveal to us the hidden meaning for he will interpret even the spaces between the letters the law and the prophet. And Lord, there is much for us to learn. And uh, when we see things like Boaz and Ruth and Obed and Jesse and David being declared from Genesis chapter 38, hundreds of years before these events would even come to pass, Lord, it's fascinating to recognize, even as the prophet Isaiah called Cyrus by name, Several times, 170 years before he was born, this pagan king uh, from the Persian Empire who would help in the building of a temple. Lord, you're the one who declares the end from the beginning. Lord, you know your plan for even our individual lives. Your word says that you only do those things you have said Father, while you yet live here on earth during the days of the incarnation, you live wholly as man, solely as man. and You demonstrated to us that we can have communion with you, a communion, Father, with you, and that you would show us things to come. Lord, help us to realize and let us pursue our relationship with Jesus, our relationship. Even as your word declares, will you show us things to come that we might know, and that, Lord, we would be prepared for every good work in his advance. God, go with us, and may you bless our week. In Jesus' mighty name, and everyone set a strong amen. Amen. Go in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior. Have an amazing week. Bless you.